hello and welcome to the Informed Traveler podcast, part of the Informed Traveler radio show, which is heard each week on Chorus Radio. It's a travel podcast where our goal is to help you become a more informed traveler. And I'm your host, Randy Sharman. On this week's podcast, you know your rights when it comes to being an air passenger in Canada. With all the flight cancellations going on, it's a good idea to know exactly what you're owed in compensation. So in a few moments, we'll chat with air passenger rights advocate Gabor Lukacs and review what you need to know if your flight is cancelled. Plus, believe it or not, there's a new Ripley's Believe It or Not auditorium that just opened up in Cancun, Mexico. So we'll find out all about that. And later in the podcast, we'll head to Ukraine, where they've just recently celebrated Ukrainian Christmas. We'll talk with the owner of Cobblestone Freeway Tours, who's in Ukraine to celebrate, and we'll learn about some of the tours they offer to Ukraine. But let's start things out talking about your rights when it comes to being an air passenger in Canada. With all the flight cancellations going on, it's a good idea to know exactly what you're owed in compensation. So joining us now to review what you need to know if your flight is cancelled is air passenger rights advocate Gabor Lukacs. His website is airpassengerrights.ca. Hi, Gabor. Hi, Randy. Uh, We've seen almost all of the major airlines cancelling a number of flights recently. Uh, So what do passengers need to know? I I know if you go on to the uh, Government of Canada website, they explain you know, the different uh, rights and things that you have, but it, it is rather confusing. So what, in a general sense, when it comes to a flight cancellation, what should passengers know? Randy, th- these rules are very confusing, and I don't think any passenger should feel bad about being confused by them because just recently a Nova Scotia Small Claims Court adjudicator wrote that he found it confusing and unfriendly to consumers as well. So some of the basic rights that passengers need to know now is that we are dealing here with cancellations within the airline's control. At this point, there is no ban on airlines operating flights. There is no strike. There is no uh, any kind of situation that would prevent the airline from earlier selling less tickets or now from perhaps hiring people who have previously been fired for loan and otherwise put out of job or like U.S. airlines have done offer double or triple pay to people to take more shifts. So airlines are currently canceling, canceling flights for profitability reasons. Air Canada actually admitted that to the foreign press while it's telling Canadian media the opposite. The starting point of our analysis has to be this is a cancellation for business profitability reasons. Surely there won't be many passengers wanting to travel at this time, so flights may not be profitable. And airlines want to save money by not operating flights. That's fine and dandy. But that doesn't mean that they can get away with it without protecting passengers' uh, rights. So the first right passengers have in this situation is the choice between whether they want to travel nevertheless or get a refund. When a flight is canceled for whatever reason, you are owed a refund in the original form of payment if the airline cancels your flight. Uh, you are also owed a refund if the airline uh, delays your flight by more than three hours. And then you have a choice whether you want to travel or not. If you choose to cancel and not travel at that situation, then uh, the airline also owes you $400 in cash compensation because we are talking about cancellations within the carrier's control. And these are not safety issues like the aircraft is leaking or something. We're talking about business decisions. Um, 
if you do insist to travel, and personally, I would not travel in the current situation. I would just take the refund plus $400 and be happy. But you have the right to insist on traveling. And if the airline cannot rebook you on their own flights, they have to buy your tickets on flights of other airlines. <laughs> that, that phrase, situation outside or inside the airline's control or within the airline's control, that is such a vague phrase, and it's open to interpretation. No, Randy, this is not open to interpretation. The law provides a quite clear list of the kind of events which are outside airlines' control, and this is an issue of staffing. It is not a situation where it is impossible to fly from, say, Canada to Mexico. There are still flights. There are flights departing from Canada. There are flights arriving in Mexico. So there is no actual legal or physical barrier to performing a contract. It is rather that it may not be profitable for the airline in the current situation. COVID is a problem for everyone, but there is one difference between a corner store or restaurant and the airline. That is that the airline sold the tickets in advance, took passengers money in advance, and represented to the public in advance that yes, we have the staffing to operate those flights, even in the midst of a pandemic. Pandemic has been around here for a very long time. It is not something new. So if an airline decides to go out and tell the public, we can do it, we can actually transport you. And then it turns out they have miscalculated how much staff they have or how much staff they need or haven't hired back, as in many cases, people who have been fired or forlorn or, or left during the first phase of the pandemic. That's the airline's poor business choice and has nothing to do with the pandemic. Just think of Wedge, that's the best example of, of what has really gone wrong here with the industry. When the travel advisor came out on the 15th of December, WellJet put out an unprecedented attack on the Public Health Agency of Canada, accusing them of issuing a travel advisory without science, without data. And in subsequent days, WellJet told the public and told the media that it had no staffing problems whatsoever. It was doing all just fine. They cannot have it both ways. What can a passenger do as far as a dispute process? Uh, is there steps they can take? First, I guess, go to the airline, and if that doesn't work, then what? The first step is to document what you are seeing, what you are experiencing, recording your telephone calls or even live conversations at the airport with the airline's agents to prevent a situation of he said, she said, and have clear evidence of what happened. I would... For example, with respect to rebooking, tell the airline, you have to buy me a ticket on another airline. Are you going to comply or not? If the airline is not reachable, that is in and on its own a breach of contract. I would try to reach them perhaps over Twitter, take screenshots. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, if the airline refuses or ignores a request to be rebooked, I would buy a ticket on another airline and then make a demand for payment to the original airline. If that's refused or ignored for 30 days, I would take it to small claims court in your province. I think what passengers need to also bear in mind that this situation is to a great extent due to the federal government's failure to enforce passengers' rights. We do have a substandard air passenger protection regulations, which is nowhere near the European gold standard of passenger protection, and which is so complicated that it is very difficult for passengers to understand it. But the biggest problem that passengers face is that the federal agency, the Canadian Transportation Agency, whose job it would be to enforce those few rights that we do have under the regulations, 
is not doing its job. Gabor Lukac is uh, Air Passenger Rights Advocate, founder of airpassengerrights.ca. Uh, lots of information on your website, airpassengerrights.ca. It's always uh, great information when we chat, Gabor. I do appreciate your time. Thank you very much for having me. Well, believe it or not, there's a new Ripley's, believe it or not, auditorium that's just opened up in Cancun, Mexico. So next time you're in Cancun, you might want to stop for a visit. Joining us now to tell us all about it is Todd Hoagland. He is the Senior Director for Design and Development with Ripley's Entertainment. Their website is ripleys.com. Hi, Todd. Hi, Randy. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Tell me a little bit about the Ripley's brand itself. It's been around for quite a while, and I think most people are kind of familiar with the uh, believe it or not uh, portion of it, right? Yes. Uh, well, it started in 1918 with uh, Robert Ripley, who was drawing daily newspaper cartoons. And they were syndicated and they went out. And as a part of his research, he was looking for, you know, some unusual facts that he could include in his cartoon. And he started, uh, you know, going out and looking uh, both domestically and then eventually internationally looking for these unique and odd facts about the world in which we live in. And it was just basically fodder for his cartoon initially, and it became, uh, you know, kind of a a beast on its own um, that uh, people were, were following his cartoon. They wanted to see what he was putting in there, and then eventually people were trying to, you know, actually try to debunk if it was true or not. Mm. Of course, uh, everything that he was putting in his content was factual. So tell me about the new Ripley's Believe It or Not in Cancun. Is it a typical Ripley's? Is something different behind it? If if you've been to one, have you been to to all of them? Is it something unique about them all? Well, each one is unique in its own right. Um, We do try to... um, weave some of the staples into each one. So, you know, there's things like shrunken heads, which you'll find as you go to the various uh, auditoriums around the country or around the world. We're going to have a couple of those in there, but we're going to try to tell different stories. And we also try to hit on the geographical stories of, of that particular location. For instance, in Cancun, we tried to touch on some of the travels that Ripley had in Mexico. And then we, we all, we have one area where you walk through, you know, a, a small little cenote uh, hallway before you open up into a, uh, a larger jungle gallery, which focuses a little bit more on some of the, the elements that you might find in, in Mexico. So where do you get the artifacts from? Do people like come to you, or you kind of search the out of a combination of both? It's a, it's a combination. We do a little bit of both. Quite actually, not a little bit. We do a lot of both. Um, we get calls regularly from folks who have unique items. Um, some may not be as unique as they think, but certainly for them, it's unique. But uh, we'll get calls, and you know, some of the voicemails that that I've heard, you know, they're calling into our exhibit line. Um, are, are quite interesting. And then we have a team that, that researches the, um, the validity of these. And then they'll obviously, depending on um, how interesting they are, we may end up traveling out to, uh, to the location to see it uh, before we actually procure it. 
Um, we also send a team out that's constantly looking for these things. Uh, we go to Comic-Cons and oddity fairs, and we have a network of, of um, antique dealers and oddity dealers, these really unique stores, the retail that are looking for these things for us, and they'll contact us if they, they find something that you know they think we might be interested in. Of course, over you know almost a hundred years of collecting these items, we have a very large collection um, that's that's based here in Orlando, but we send it out to the various, um, believe it or not, auditoriums, mm-hmm. so that we can make sure they've got new product. Uh, we'll we'll send out an item, and then they'll they'll send it back to us, and we'll refurbish it or clean it up or find a new way to present it and then send it to another location. So there's there's a constant movement of our collection through the network of auditoriums uh, that we have uh, that are permanent, as well as traveling shows. Mm-hmm. We, we do some traveling shows that we work with um, science centers, for instance, where we have the uh, the Ripley's, uh, the science of Ripley's, believe it or not, the science of uh, Guinness World Records, which is another brand uh, that's that's part of the Ripley's Entertainment uh, Incorporated. Um, so we will we'll we'll get those out there. We'll we'll rotate them around, and we'll make sure that we're finding new ways to tell those uh, stories about uh, that particular oddity. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a, a a large warehouse full of interesting items that. You know, from one day to the next, you never know what what's going to be sitting there. And my office is, you know, right right next to the warehouse, so I can go out there and just kind of wander around and <laughs> and see what might inspire uh, a new gallery or a new display. Um, even if it's something that's been sitting there for a little while, I might walk by it numerous times, and then you know, it'll hit me or hit one of our our design team, and we'll start scribbling away a, a, a thought of how we could present this story in a new light and possibly with, uh, you know, some technology to mm. engage um, our guests. It must be a fun job uh, working at that warehouse. <laughs> Tell me a little bit more about the uh, Cancun one. Uh, I'm, I'm reading the press release, uh, 11 galleries, 400 wonders, including the world's tallest man. Uh, tell us about some of the highlights. Yeah, it's it's based in right the central part of Cancun uh, Hotel District in a shopping mall called La Isla, and it's a really large retail destination there in Cancun, where our Mexican partner is developing uh, an entertainment corner, if you will, for this uh, this retail location. And he's got a large observation wheel and a number of other. Um, activities there, and we wanted to uh, include a Ripley's Believe It or Not. We think that would be a great uh, offer for the folks who are visiting Cancun. Obviously, the Cancun's got some beautiful beaches and, and uh, other wonderful elements, but this was an alternative. When they're going to the shopping mall, they want to spend an afternoon and go into uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not, which is, a, is one of the, the larger ones in Mexico, and we we have 11 amazing uh, galleries, which you start off, you can walk through um, uh, one, our first gallery, for instance, is odd art, which is just all these unique pieces of art that are made out of, you name it, you know, different types of material. (laughs) We've got the lint art and we've got um, uh, colored pencil sculptures, you know, we have a gorilla (laughs) that's made out of colored pencils and, so it's all these unique things that you know guests love to take photos with. Mm-hmm. Certainly, that's a big thing these days. 
And then we move into some of our, our, our human oddities gallery, which is uh, all of our stories about these unique individuals. Uh, Robert Wadlow, who you mentioned, the tallest man uh, to have lived at eleven at eight foot eleven inches tall. Um, he we have got a sculpture of him in there, and you can stand next to him and see how you would size up against uh, Robert Wadlow. Um, we have a shoe from Robert Wadlow, and so and, and a num- number of other uh, interesting humans. Um, where you know we we Robert Ripley always wanted to tell these unique stories and make sure people understood there's there's a little bit of uniqueness in all of us and each person has a special quality in that story to tell and so through the human oddity section we tell those stories and uh, people can learn about you know some different cultures and how people celebrate. Uh, that particular culture with their, you know, body art or um, jewelry or how they wear things. So that's part of the human oddities gallery. And then uh, we move into this large gallery of, uh, of, of a jungle scene, which explores some of the, the primitive artifacts that we have, the shrunken heads, uh, African and Asian masks, um, weaponry. So there's a lot of these unique pieces in there, which uh, kind of fit within that uh, primitive um, ancient cultures, which again, most people don't get a chance to see up close and personal. There's just gallery after gallery of these unique elements that are both hands-on. I mean, certainly there's some things that, that you can't touch, but other things that you can really get a feel for, take photos with, um, and we can interact with. For instance, with our shrunken heads, we have an interactive where you go up to this um, uh, iPad style uh, workstation where you can actually take a photo of yourself and then morph your face into <laughs> what it would look like if it had been a shrunken head. So uh, and then, of course you can email that to yourself and, and your friends. Put it on your driver's license. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, it sounds like a, a fun adventure. Another thing to do in Cancun uh, to spend the day. It sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, it is the uh, Ripley's, believe it or not, auditorium in Cancun. You can find more information on the Ripley's website, ripleys.com. And Todd Hoagland is the Senior Director of Design and Development for Ripley's Entertainment. Uh, it was a fun chat, Todd. Thank you. Thank you, Randy. Well, if traveling to Ukraine or Eastern Europe is high on your list of travels this year, Cobblestone Freeway Tours can help you out. That is their specialty. In fact, the owner of Cobblestone Freeway Tours, Vincent Reese, is currently in Kiev, Ukraine, and he joins us now via Skype to tell us what life is like there and what it's like to tour there. Their website, by the way, is cobblestonefreeway.ca. Hi, Vince. Hi, how are you, Randy? I'm well, thank you. We should mention you are in Kiev. Uh, Technology is amazing. Joining us via Skype. Uh, give us uh, an idea of what life is like in Kiev. Uh, you know, we're all living through this COVID thing. So what's what's life like there? Yeah, well, you know, it, it was easy to travel, actually. I was, um, you know, I got my booster shot already. And uh, I didn't have to really show anything except that I was vaccinated. And, and I came freely. I traveled to Ukraine very easily. I traveled... Uh, through t- Toronto and then Istanbul and then to Kiev. It was a very lovely flight, very easy 
no problems on arrival. And uh, yeah, I've been in Kiev for a few days now here. Celebrated New Year's, saw the fireworks, went to the main square and had some mulled wine and caught up with friends and saw a couple concerts. And life is really good here in Ukraine. Every Everything seems fairly normal. I mean, people are wearing masks and stuff like that. And uh, vaccinations are starting to climb. But uh you know, you have to show your proof of vaccination to go into a lot of different establishments like the restaurants or the malls or stuff like, or stuff like that. But mm -hmm. otherwise, yeah, lots of people on the streets. Everything seems really uh, normal. And this is something you do as part of your cobblestone freeway tours. I mean, obviously, you're doing research and you're going there. You you know, if you're, you're going to offer tours to Ukraine, it's good to know what you're offering, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I don't have to do much research anymore. I've been doing this for so long. Uh, my main reason to come this time was, you know, because of COVID and because of what's in the news, I wanted the world to know that, you know, you could travel, you can still travel. And, uh, and I wanted to see for myself, like, you know, you can't ask people to do something you're not willing to do yourself. So <laughs> I wanted to come and, and just show people that it's possible. So I've been posting lots on our cobblestone freeway tours facebook page and on my regular page and we'll be putting out a newsletter all about the trip to ukraine but uh you know people here are going about their daily lives and uh and it's just it's it's a really wonderful country and it's a, it's a huge country it's also huge it's the largest country in europe and so even though there is a conflict in the east um we're so far from that like it's so far away that it's you know, it's the same distance to Berlin as it is to the conflict zone in the east. So, mm -hmm. you know, nobody's really doing anything different than they would be in another year, as far as I can tell. Let's talk about talk about that briefly. Uh, the threats from Russia, and we hear it in the news, but uh, is it uh, sort of like a, for people in Ukraine, they kind of shrug their shoulders and go, yeah, well, they're always threatening to invade us. Well, it's it's not not a big deal. I mean, uh, people, but nobody's talking about it, actually. Like, they're surprised that I'm asking about it. They're like, what's new? I mean, Russia's been bullying Ukraine for 300 years. What's new? Mm -hmm. uh, what's what's new is that they're getting the global attention about it now. And they've, they, there is a conflict that's been in the East, and they, they have amassed some troops at the border. But most people think, as I've also come to think it's just political theater when Putin wants something he rattles some sabers and tries to get America's attention or tries to get the attention of the European Union and then when he gets like what he wants he goes away and mm. you know so nobody's talking about it nothing new seems to be different here nobody's nobody's I mean they're they're always preparing for the worst but life goes on well, your website, cobblestonefreeway.ca, has a number of tours, uh, and we can't, obviously, we don't have enough time to talk about them all, but let's talk about the, your your tour, uh, one of you is, your, your website says it's one of your more popular ones, Great Ukraine Tour, uh, and obviously, Kiev is part of that, right? Yeah, I just, and I just love Kiev. I, f I first came to Kiev in 1992, I think, was my first trip here, right after the collapse of the Soviet Union. And I, I didn't like it back then. It was tough. It was a tough city, but it's really become such a funky, cool, innovative city. You know, you know. I mean, maybe you do, maybe you don't, or maybe your listeners do or don't know that Berlin became such a creative, interesting uh, city after the fall of the Berlin Wall. And the same thing is happening here in Kiev. It's become such a dynamic, creative, interesting, vibrant city and God, it's just such a beautiful city with so many 
parks and festivals and events and things going on. It's just, you know, you could live here and, mm -hmm. and millions of people do live here. It's a huge city. So I definitely recommend, you know, whether you come on the Great Ukraine Tour or maybe we organize a tour with you one day, Randy, and you guys all come together. But Kiev is a starting point for most of our tours, for sure. Okay, so you spend a few days in Kiev. Where, where else do you go for your uh, Great Ukraine Tour? Uh, so after leaving Kiev, we go down to the Black Sea to Odessa, which is a really interesting multicultural city. And, uh, you know, it's a port city. It's on the Black Sea, lots of wine. It's a very Mediterranean, really interesting history. It's a combination of, you know, Ukrainian and Russian and Jewish and Greek and Tatar and all kinds of different cultures down there and, you know, French architecture, Italian architecture. I mean, it's a beautiful city, really interesting. And then we had... To Western Ukraine, where if you're if you have Ukrainian heritage, you probably came from the western part of Ukraine, and that's where we spend the rest of the tour. It seems like you spend a lot of time in the the places that you stop, so you get to really kind of uh, learn a little bit about the culture and meet the the people, and it makes it a little bit of different than some other different tours, right? Yeah, compared to other travel companies, what I try to do is make sure we're not rushing from place to place. You spend at least three days in each place, if not maybe, you know, three nights, four days. So you get a chance to really soak up the atmosphere of the city. And instead of just checking 10 cities off a bucket list, we go to five or six cities and spend a little bit more time and get to know the place a little bit better. And then you have a deeper connection, a more meaningful memory with that place. What kind of transportation, what are the accommodations like? And then maybe you want to touch on the food because I'm sure that's a big part of it. <laughs> Okay, I'll, I'll get to the food, but uh, uh, transportation is excellent. We're either in a, a coach bus or we're taking the nice train down to Odessa or we fly to the west from Odessa. We fly to the west of Ukraine. Um, we'll take an, a train occasionally with a sleeper car, and it's really nice. It's Europe. The hotels are really excellent. We always stay in four-star hotels, and people are really surprised, like, you know, people are used to staying in the Super 8 or, or, you know, the Best Western. They get to Ukraine and, you know, all of a sudden you're in European quality style hotels with European four-star service or, uh, you know, which people aren't used to if, if you're just from, you know, depending on where you're from, maybe you're used to just uh, a little simpler kind of uh, mm -hmm. hotel. It's really kind of fancy for people. And uh, the food is just, you know pierogies or pirohe or varenica, whatever you call them, <laughs> th that's what people expect when they come to Ukraine. And But it's so much more. Ukrainian cuisine is just over the top. And actually, on our Facebook page, we post quite a few videos of cooking uh, different Ukrainian recipes that, uh, you know, some of the standards, like cabbage rolls and pierogies and kubasa and stuff like that, but so much more than that. You'll have to come to Ukraine. Mm -hmm. I even said to one of our clients after a tour, you know, I've been thinking about organizing a culinary tour. And they said, I think we were just on a culinary tour. <laughs> <laughs> and, and one of the great parts, I think, because I've never been to Ukraine. I don't know the language. You're there to kind of hold our, hold our hand a little bit and, and guide us along the way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's just like if you went to Italy or France, you would need to have an English-speaking guide. So we make sure everything's translated to English. But if you... If you are Ukrainian or you have a little bit of background, you get to hear it. And uh, my, my mom, for example, when she came, 
I didn't realize she still remembered her Ukrainian, but after a couple of shots of vodka, she was talking Ukrainian. <laughs> <laughs> like nobody's business. After a couple of shots of vodka, we'll all be speaking Ukrainian, I'm sure. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> of course, you got uh, tours planned for later in 2022 and into 2023. So uh, if people are leery about traveling now, they can still plan ahead, right? Yeah, absolutely. We've, I mean, we've got an Easter tour going. Um, hopefully COVID will be out of the way and Putin will be out of the way by then and we'll get back to normal. But lots of summer trips planned. Next fall is going to be really beautiful. And then, of course, we already have all of our 2023 tours on the website. But mm-hmm. but I did want to add, Randy, if you don't mind, that the western part of Ukraine, I didn't say much about it, but, you know, Ukraine itself, it's like five or six different countries all packed into one if you if you look at the size of it. And the difference between Kiev and Odessa is really stark. And then you go to the western Ukraine and you go to Lviv, it's just, it's like they're all, it's like four or five different countries in one tour because it's so diverse and so interesting and culturally, you know, separate. Uh, the Western Ukraine and the rest of Ukraine was separated from the Austrian-Hungarian Empire and the Russian Empire for several hundred years. So they developed different cultures and developed in different ways. So uh, now Ukraine is united and it's really a cool time in history for them to be able to start telling their own story. Well, you can find lots of information on your website, cobblestonefreeway.ca. Vincent Reese is the owner of Cobblestone Freeway Tours, and he's in Kiev checking out uh, all the things that uh, you should be checking out. Uh, it's a pleasure chatting with you, Vincent. Thank you. Thanks, Randy. And if you want to follow along, follow us on our Facebook page. I'm still going to the Carpathian Mountains and to my family's village and on to Lviv. And I'll be celebrating Ukraine Christmas over here. So watch us on our Facebook page and uh, you'll get more information that way through the pictures than just hearing about it from me. So thanks for having me on the show. And that is this week's Informed Traveler podcast. Remember, this is the podcast version of the Informed Traveler radio show, which is heard each week on Chorus Radio. You can find more information on the show at our website, theinformedtraveler.org. So thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, let us know, leave a review, tell a friend, or you can drop me a line. My email is randy at theinformedtraveler.org. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash informedtraveler or follow me on Twitter at informedtraveler.